This is Dr. Karen Horton from Johns Hopkins. This is part four of our series on CT imaging of the spleen, and these are some miscellaneous things that can affect the spleen. First, we'll talk about infections, and certainly splenic abscesses can occur. They're relatively rare, but they're important to recognize because they can be rapidly fatal. The risk factors, they're usually debilitated patients, so most commonly we see these splenic abscesses in diabetics or alcoholics or drug abusers, so really debilitated patients will get these infections, but they can spread very rapidly. So a CT appearance typically is going to be low density, almost cystic looking, um, usually a little bit more regular, maybe rim enhancement, and air in about 20%. So you really have to be on the lookout, especially in patients that present with pain and debilitated patients. You want to look back at the old study and see if, you know, fluid density has appeared in the spleen, then it's very likely an infection and an abscess. So here's um, an example of a splenic abscess. There's a low-density collection. It's irregular. It's not well-defined like a cyst. There's a little bit of a mural enhancement there and a thickened wall and air bubbles. So it's definitely a splenic abscess, which is an emergency. Here's another case, which is an abscess, or maybe at this point still like a phlegmon. You can see a lot of stranding around it. It's low-density. It looks like it's uh, forming a wall to it. It was not there before. So this is a splenic infection in an abscess. It may not be quite mature at this point, but certainly something to be very aggressive about. Here's another lesion. Looks low density on the left. You may say, well, maybe it's a cyst, but you know, it's just not well defined. The, the edges are kind of infiltrated, especially the image on the right. And that wasn't there before. That's the key. Could it be anything else here? There's some tumors that can look like that, but you're in a totally different patient population at this point. And you have to consider that this is infection and a developing splenic abscess. Immunocompromised patients have, you know, a specific challenge. They can get systemic infections that can affect the spleen. We don't see them as commonly today as we did in the past. So it was much more common, say, 10 years ago to see disseminated fungal infections like candida, pneumocystis carini infections involving the spleen, you know, widespread TB or MAI. Typically, these infections in immunocompromised patients will be tiny little low-density lesions involving the spleen and often the liver at the same time. They may have rim enhancement. Sometimes they may calcify. So here's an example I showed in one of the other segments of pneumocystis. So the patient's uh, chest CT shows pneumatoceles from old infection and PCP in the lungs. And we have these punctate calcifications in the spleen um, from treated pneumocystis infection. This is a patient, HIV patient with widespread candida infection. These tiny little miliary lesions in the spleen are typical of that. Aspergillus is another organism in immunocompromised patients that can present at these tiny little low-density liver lesions. So you should keep that in mind when you see this miliary pattern. Okay, here's question seven. So this is a healthy 40-year-old patient. Let's say she was in a trauma and she's got an abdominal CT. And you can see this is a coronal image. The spleen is a little big. And you have these pretty well-defined low-density lesions in the spleen. The rest of the scan, I'll tell you, look normal. So what's the most likely diagnosis? Are these lymphangiomas, lymphoma, sarcoid, or metastatic disease? Okay, well, metastatic disease, again, is unlikely if the rest of the scan looks normal, especially in a healthy patient. Lymphangiomas usually look lower density than this, 
and more subcapsular, but I guess that would be a possibility. Lymphoma is a possibility. We don't see any nodes anyplace else. I put that um, less likely. But when you have this scenario of just totally incidental finding where you have low-density splenic lesions, you need to consider sarcoid. We see this over and over again. People referred here with incidental splenic lesions. Maybe somebody called a metastasis, and it turns out to be sarcoid. Sarcoid can very commonly involve the liver and spleen, even kidneys. You might not think about it, but it does involve it. We're used to seeing lymph nodes in the mediastinum, lymph nodes in the porta, Again, another sign of sarcoidosis that sometimes can confuse people can involve the stomach or the small intestine uncommonly. The liver, um, up to 94% of patients have liver involvement. Most of these you're not going to be able to see on a CT scan. Most people with liver involvement are asymptomatic. And most time on CT, all you're going to see is an enlarged liver, but you won't see discrete lesions. But they can be solitary or multiple lesions in the liver related to sarcoid. And in one study, almost 70% of the patients had concurrent splenic lesions. So when you look at the spleen specifically, almost 60% of patients with sarcoid have splenic involvement. But again, you wouldn't necessarily see it on CT. On CT, you might just see an enlarged spleen, or you might see nodules like I showed you, or even tiny little nodules. So here's an example of sarcoid. You can see the typical findings on the chest CT, and then you can see this low-density lesions in the spleen. Here's another example of splenic involvement by sarcoid, multiple low-density lesions. Some of them are even confluent, and the spleen is enlarged. So this would be a typical case we see. Maybe we do abdominal CT for another reason, and you see these low-density splenic lesions. You have no explanation. It's a healthy patient. You're not thinking of, you know, disseminated candida or something like that. And it's usually a woman, and then I say, well, maybe this is sarcoid, and then they do a chest CT, and they see typical mediastinal and hyalur adenopathy. They do a bronchoscopy biopsy and the diagnosis of sarcoid is made. Here's another one that happened just that way. You can see on the abdominal CT that it looks very funny, right? The liver and spleen are involved. They were thinking maybe lymphoma. There's some nodes in the porta. They do chest CT. They have adenopathy, right paratracheal, which is pretty characteristic of sarcoid. They biopsy. It's all related to sarcoid. Here's a patient with sarcoid. You can see on these are scans from different days. You can see on the left all these low-density lesions. And then a few years later, you can see that you don't see them anymore. You just have some small calcifications left over after treatment. Here's another patient. This is the most dramatic. This really looks like metastatic disease in the liver and the spleen. I probably would have read it that way myself, but don't forget, sarcoid can look like that. Okay, question number eight. So this is a non-contrast CT axial, and we're looking at the spleen, and you have these kind of geographic areas of calcification. A little bit of pleural effusions and ascites, but our main concern is the spleen. What's going on in the spleen? Are these old infarcts, treated lymphoma, sarcoid, or metastatic disease? These are examples of splenic infarcts. So uh, sometimes when splenic infarcts heal, they can become calcified. And you can see how they're very segmental and geographic. They have sharp edges. So that would be good for an infarct. Most in splenic infarcts are related to endocarditis or atrial fibrillation, sickle cell, like we showed you in the beginning, multiple infarcts over time and autoinfarction. Treated lymphoma sometimes can calcify a little bit. Um, an acute infarct on CT will look like a wedge-shaped area of decreased attenuation, with extend, which extends to the surface of the spleen. Usually only involves a portion of the spleen, unless you have injury to the splenic artery or embolization. And the appearance varies over time. This is an acute or subacute, very wedge-shaped area. As it starts to heal, it's like a piece of pie, and it will get smaller and smaller and smaller, and you'll be just with, with a linear scar. 
Another example, splenic infarct's much more extensive in this case. Almost the whole periphery of the spleen is infarcted. Here's a nice example of acute infarct. Very sharp borders, edges, goes to the surface of the spleen. This is a patient where it's almost completely infarcted. There's only a little bit of splenic tissue that's enhancing. And uh, this is the more inferior aspect, and there was a splenule at the inferior portion of the spleen. And if you look, there's a small, low-density, rounded area there, um, just lateral to the colon on those images, and that was a splenule that was also infarcted. It's another example of splenic infarct, very characteristic, wedge-shaped areas more in the periphery. And this was a patient who underwent embolization of the spleen, and you can see there's a large infarct there. This is kind of subacute. It's starting to heal. As infarcts heal, sometimes you will get uh, a wall to them, or you even may get air in them. It doesn't necessarily mean that's infected. Here's almost global splenic infarction. You have a little bit of capsular enhancement and very little bit of spleen that's enhancing normally. Trauma patient, gunshot wound, you can see there's a huge liver laceration, there's blood, there's pleural effusion, and you really have no enhancement of the spleen. So it's global infarction of the spleen related to trauma. Okay, we're going to finish up just talking a little bit about the vessels, splenic artery anatomy, the average number of branches to the spleen. Um, usually is between 6 and 12, and they originate between 3 and 13 centimeters from the hilum. Or you could just have a long branching pattern to the spleen, that, which then divides into the short terminal branches. So there's kind of different way that the splenic artery can branch. Here's a nice coronal image showing you the celiac axis with the common hepatic artery and the splenic artery. And usually a coronal or coronal oblique is nice for, for laying out the splenic artery. Most common thing we see would be aneurysms of the spleen, uh, pseudoaneurysms less commonly, occlusion of the spleen related to trauma, related to surgery, tumor encasement, pancreatic cancer is a big one. So splenic artery aneurysms, third most common of the intra-abdominal aneurysms. Um, they're fairly common. That's probably the most common aneurysm that we see of the splanchnic vessels. Four times more common in women, especially women who have, have had multiple vaginal deliveries. It's actually important diagnosis to make in women, especially if they're pregnant or going to become pregnant because the chance of rupture is higher during pregnancy. So splenic artery aneurysms could be associated with atherosclerotic disease, hypertension, portal hypertension, cirrhosis. We discussed pregnancy already after liver transplantation is another cause. Usually they're incidental findings, but they can be symptomatic, especially if they're large or if they're bleeding. So occasionally they'll present with pain or rupture. But typically, it's going to be an incidental finding. Here's a nice example on uh, coronal and coronal oblique images. You see an aneurysm off the splenic artery. More commonly in women, here's an incidental finding in the splenic hilum patient with cirrhosis and portal hypertension. And here's another splenic artery aneurysm, maybe two centimeters or so in size. 3D is beautiful for laying out these aneurysms. Uh, usually coronal MIPS or volume rendering are very nice for showing the aneurysm, the size, and the neck. They can uh, commonly calcify, so you might see dense peripheral calcifications. Pseudoaneurysms uh, tend to be in a different patient population. Patients with pancreatitis, probably the most common we see, are after trauma or post-op complications. So by pseudoaneurysms, I mean they don't have the normal layers of the wall. They're much more likely to rupture. Patients often present when bleeding has occurred. So pseudoaneurysm rupture in up to 37% of cases, and you can see the mortality is nearly 90%. So an acute rupture of a pseudoaneurysm is an emergency.
It's a patient with multiple episodes of pancreatitis. You see a kind of an irregular shaped aneurysm there. It's not as smooth as the other ones. And then there's blood around there. So that's a pseudoaneurysm with bleeding. You can see all the fluid around the aneurysm. Here's a couple more um, images of that same case. You see that like a little sharp edge to the medial border of it with blood associated with it. And here's the volume rendering kind of looking from above. More typically, what you're going to see is a lot of blood. And you, you say, oh, there's blood there. I wonder where the patient's bleeding. Well, look very carefully. You can see that small pseudoaneurysm rising off the splenic artery, causing a tremendous amount of bleeding. So the patient needs to go to endoscopy and have it embolized or go to surgery in some cases. And the pseudoaneurysms can look eccentric and kind of triangular. So they tend not to be perfectly well-defined. Here's another splenic artery pseudoaneurysm in a patient with multiple episodes of pancreatitis. You have that blush of blood uh, in the center. That's the pseudoaneurysm sac and then bleeding around it, extending into the pericolic gutters. Ultrasound is um, and CT. Now that we use them routinely in patients, you tend to find some splenic artery aneurysms just incidentally. So if they get to be a certain size, if the patient's symptomatic, then obviously you can treat them. And even if they're not bleeding, you could put stents or endovascular um, treatment is definitely an option. Then just to finish up the splenic vein, um, typically easy to image the splenic vein, usually coronal or coronal oblique to lay out the portal vein, splenic vein, superior mesenteric vein. Most commonly we see thrombosis in pancreatitis patients, tumor encasement by pancreatic cancer patients, or you can have splenic vein trauma. Here's a coronal image showing the portal vein, superior mesenteric vein at the confluence and splenic vein. And um, very easy to lay out the splenic vein in a coronal or coronal oblique. You can see it heading into the hilum there. Here's an example of pancreatic cancer in the body of the pancreas encasing the portal vein confluence, the SMV, the splenic vein is occluded, and you have gastroepiplocollaterals. You can see nicely on these MIP images. So occlude the splenic vein, you get all these collaterals around the stomach. Here's another patient with pancreatic cancer encasing the superior mesenteric vein. The splenic vein is out, and you get the same pattern of collaterals around the stomach. This is the same patient in the axial and coronal um, MPR views. You can see that infiltrated tumor around the SMV in the splenic vein. And chronic pancreatitis is another example. You can see all the calcifications in the pancreas here, and it's occluded the splenic vein, and you get the same pattern of these large collaterals. So in conclusion, remember that inhomogeneous enhancement of the spleen after bolus contrast is dramatic, and I showed you that in part one. So be very careful. You want to image the spleen at the correct time. In part two, I discuss benign splenic lesions. The majority of splenic lesions are benign. So remind, remember that when you find an incidental splenic lesion, don't get carried away. Of the malignant lesions, Remember, angiosarcoma is incredibly rare. Lymphoma of the spleen is more common. Isolated splenic metastases are incredibly rare, right? So if you see splenic lesions in a patient with cancer and no other metastasis, it's probably going to be benign. Um, also, the CT appearance of many of the splenic tumors overlap. So use what's available to you. Look, listen to the clinical history. Is it truly an incidental finding? Are there old films? Should you get short-term short short follow-up or biopsy? Maybe PET would help in some instances. And then don't forget about sarcoid. That's the great mammogram.